Hi, this is Wilson from Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. After the pandemic, it's been easy to do Chipotle Church, where we get to choose how much church we want every week. Maybe I'll stay home this Sunday. I feel like opening my Bible today, but not tomorrow. I'll go to small group and not Sundays. Our City Monk series challenges this construct of church and pushes us to reorder our life around Jesus and the Sabbath. It's a call to live in contrast to a city that is busy and burnt out. Instead, we live unhurried lives, wrapping our daily and weekly schedule around being with Jesus. I hope you get a chance to check out our church on Sunday in Fullerton, California at 10 a.m. I hope you enjoy the series. All right, good morning. I hope you had a great time talking through things. For some of you, it was a little bit of a backtrack. Um, what about that war? So we're going to be talking more about war today. Welcome to church, <laughs> where we talk about hard things, apparently. But my name is Katie Dudgeon, and I am uh, a friend of Wilson's from seminary. I think we were the two extroverts in seminary. That's how we knew each other or met each other. Um, but he was just such an encouragement during some really awkward seasons of seminary where I was trying to figure out what I was doing with my life as a female and ministry and all those things. And so um, have just loved the opportunity to reconnect with him and get to know you all and some of you at different places and to talk about your heart for the world. And it has just been such a privilege to get to know Becca. I don't know where you are. The lights are so bright. Um, Becca, Kevin, Irwin, and so many others of you, and I have been so impressed with you as a church. Your heart for people just oozes out of you. Your desire to be part of what God is doing, to bring about change, but to not make it about yourself, I am so excited how God is going to use you around the world. He is already using you here, in this room, in this city, in this region, but he is going to use your church really powerfully in the world. To, and I'm so excited to be part of that. And so this morning, um, we're going to talk a little bit about that and the opportunities around the world. As Wilson said, I work for Reach Global and have been in Europe the last 10 years serving, and I'm currently in a role here helping churches get involved in what God is doing in Europe and other places around the world. And so I, just a few weeks ago, was in Europe around some of the bordering countries of Ukraine to really help us explore how has the war in Ukraine really shifted things in Europe? What are the opportunities we want to get behind? What are the things we want to get involved with? What are the things churches need to know so they can really help come alongside what God is doing? And so this morning, what I'd like to do is actually just start by giving you some context for Europe and for what the spiritual sense of Europe is. And so if you want to go ahead to the slide, oh, I actually can't see where the slides are. <laughs> there we go. Um, um, statistically, Europe, now some of you may be very, very familiar, but is really considered the least religious, least secu most secular part of the world. So Christianity has moved to the global south, Latin America, Africa, 
and Asia is just full of incredible diversity. But Europe is more homogenous in this sense that it is really the most secular part of the world, the most non-religious part of the world. In most European capitals, you'd see less than 2% um, being followers of Christ, evangelical believers. And in some of the rural areas, that's actually less. Like that's very different than the US where you see a lot of religion in, in the rural areas. Not true in Europe. And so in a, in a very well-known study by the University of Chicago in like about 10 years ago, on religions around the world and the shift, the shifts that they are seeing, they actually described former Eastern Germany as the most atheist place on earth. That's, that's pretty incredible. Um, and one of the, the quotes that has become well known to describe what's happened in Germany, in France, and many other parts of Scandinavia, many other parts of Europe, is by a, a, a German Lutheran bishop, and he says, they have forgotten that they have forgotten God. <laughs> that idea represents the generations, essentially, from one generation to another. This is not something that just happened recently. This is something that historically was put into motion hundreds of years ago. And so when I moved there, the most common response when people discovered that I was a Christian and actually believed it. Not just that I was a Christian tied to an institution, but when I was a Christian and a person of the Christian faith, they would say, I didn't know anybody believed that anymore. Do you see what that means? That faith is not commonplace. It's surprising. And so it's seen as irrelevant. It's seen as outdated, a little bit primitive. And that society is just more enlightened. And we can have some of those attitudes today as well, right? We're more enlightened. We think we're the most enlightened, you know, culture and civilization. But that's where we get ourselves in trouble. Um, and so one of the things that I've described Europe as, because there's all these unreached categories, and some of you are familiar with the unreached, people groups around the world. And Europe is difficult in the sense that they have a lot of access to the gospel, to information about Christianity, knowledge about Christianity, ways to learn about Christianity. But what they don't have is exposure because it isn't just about written words. It's also about life to life, right? And just think about scripture. We have scripture as a record, but God also sent a person to us. And that is how we got exposed to what it really looks like in Europe. And so because of that, I've actually come to see many Europeans as victims of that environment, of that non-religious secular environment. It is so difficult to, to really get um, a true, get true exposure to Christianity that they're really kind of victims of the time and place and the culture that they live in and the thinking and, uh, and on some level the shaming that Maybe even some of you have experienced as people of faith that you're looked down upon. You maybe might not get that job, that position, that um, the university context. It's challenging. And so they are really what I would consider kind of victims. But scripture actually says a lot about how we interact with people like that. And so I actually want us to look 
um, at Matthew. And, and in Matthew chapter 9 in particular, because in Matthew 8 and Matthew 9 and 10, Jesus is, descri- is showing us what it looks like to follow him and what we get to be a part of. And so in, in uh, chapter 8, Matthew basically says, okay, I'm in. I'm going to help make you, I'm going to be part of making fishers of men. And in chapter 9, then we see what he's doing, what Jesus is showing him. This is what my ministry looks like. And in chapter 10, it's this is what everyone's mission is going to look like because I'm inviting you into this. So chapter 9 is kind of like orientation week. How many of you went through orientation week before, you know, your first semester of college? Um, Some of you, maybe some of you had to do it online, you poor things. But I remember orientation week showing up and you're just like, I know I signed up for this, but I have no idea what I'm in for. I have no idea. Are you going to be my best friend forever or am I never going to see you again, right? Like, which classes should I take? I don't know. The 7.30 a.m. class doesn't sound that late or... That, you know, like, that doesn't sound that early. Like, I think I'm okay. And then, you know, three weeks later, you're like, what was I thinking with a 7.30 a.m. course my first year in college? Okay, is, do I have any other? Okay, I see some nods. So that's a little bit of, like, what Matthew is like right now. He is kind of like, I don't, I know I'm in, but I really don't know what I signed up for. And so um, Matthew chapter 9, we're going to actually look at the very last verses in Math, in the chapter 9 of uh, Matthew, and in, we're going to read verse 35 and 36, but I want you to be looking for two things. In verse 35, I want you to be looking for what Jesus is doing, and then in verse 36, I want you to be looking at how Jesus is feeling or responding. Okay, I know this is like a big assignment on a Sunday morning. Some of you are like, it's still early, Katie, but I I believe you can do this. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. So what was he doing? Teaching, right? We just got all these action words. What else was he doing? You can shout it out. Proclaiming. What's the other one? Healing. Okay. All of these things. He was doing it everywhere to all the people. He was doing all the things to all the people. And then verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, what was he feeling? Compassion. I don't know, does Wilson make you talk back to him like this? Okay, you're doing, you're doing a good job. <laughs> um, he felt compassion. And we know why. It says right in here. Because they were harassed, helpless, and then we have this metaphor, this analogy. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, from the context of this passage, which we didn't read, but you can actually see very clearly that the word harassed there is referring to all of these people who are sick and harassed, and there's a little bit of a spiritual element there, a spiritual attack. Forces outside of them are holding them back. So we can kind of assume there's, a, there's some spiritual 
activity, some warfare going on, resistance here. That harassment is not coming from them. You don't harass yourself. It's coming from external to you. So someone else is causing problems for you. You're harassed. And then they were helpless. I mean, they were unable to fix the situation themselves. Does that sound like a victim to you? Here we go. In scripture, Jesus is showing us how we relate to victims. How we relate to those who are spiritually harassed and can't fix it themselves. Like Europe, like people in Berlin, like people in Paris, like many people in London. And the other part there that he adds in, it's like sheep without a shepherd, right? And we know that metaphor if you've been reading scripture, if you've been reading um, any of the gospels, or you grew up in church, that's a very familiar metaphor to you. But if you think about it this way, I can kind of read over that and just kind of like, okay. But it's like sheep without a shepherd, they really had no one, what he's saying there is they had no one to trust and no one to protect them. And I was at a gathering it was a few years ago in Berlin, and it was a friend's house, and there were a lot of people there that I didn't know, a few people I knew well, but mostly I talked with people I didn't know that evening. And as I interacted with them, I began to realize, I don't think anybody else in this room is probably a, a Christian or a believer. And it just struck me, knowing what I just told you about Europe and the generations of non-belief, I thought, and they might not have any family members or any other friends that know Jesus. I can pray for them. And that sounds kind of ridiculous, (laughs) like so simple, but it was like, they have no one to pray for them. There is no one looking out for them, protecting them, right? Who they can trust in this area. And they are actually positionally, just by the nature of where they live, kind of harassed and helpless. And we don't think of modern, urban people as being harassed and helpless and, and held back by spiritual forces. But scripture tells us they are. And my experience confirms that as well. And so that is just that, that mindset and that posture right here that we see that we as believers, as we approach these who are helpless and harassed, who are victims, the posture, our responsive posture Our interactions are characterized by compassion. That's what we see Jesus modeling for us here. But he was not popular for that, okay? Like, when I say that, I think, how many of you are going to disagree that we should have compassion, okay? None of you. I see lots of nodding earlier. You're like, yeah, I'm tracking with you. This is good. Oh, I'm at church, and they're telling me to be compassionate. What's new? But Jesus was not well-liked for this. The Pharisees actually accused him of some things. And so if we go to Matthew 9, verse 11, you can see their Pharisees actually saw him doing this. And they said, why? They asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? And essentially, this was not just an Oh, we want to understand how Jesus operates type of question. This is an accusation saying your teacher is unrespectable. 
because he eats with the very people he has relationship, he hangs out with, he is one of the very people that do not share our morals and values. Do you see where this gets messy? It sounds really easy to be people of compassion and to have a posture of compassion towards those who have come from a very different perspective than we do. But when we actually engage with them, we will have, there will be criticism. It happened to Jesus all the time. And his response in verse 13, he's like, but this is why we came. This is actually my calling. <laughs> if I don't do this, I'm going to miss what everything is about. And so our response as well is that this is to remember that this is part of who we are. Now, the Pharisees saw these individuals as threats rather than as victims. And I think we actually can do the same thing. You know, we actually are, we feel like, well, what if their values rub off on me? I don't want that to happen. Um, what if I actually make mistakes? What if they influence my behavior? Um, or what if they're actually changing culture and it comes back to hit me? These are, these are tough questions. And yet Jesus still says, but this is what we are about. We are called to be in those places with those people, but of Jesus and living out that compassionate heart. So we see Jesus modeling in the rest of the Gospels. And I would encourage you, if you have questions about this, to keep reading the Gospels because Jesus walks this line so well between staying on mission and staying true to God. And sometimes we, we kind of fall either way. We kind of like, we kind of like, hey, we're going to go, we're going to be on mission, and then we kind of lose sight of like, hey, what we're really about. And I've seen that story in Berlin. A lot of people like me, a lot of Christians who move to Europe and want to have influence, end up losing their faith, actually. They forget what they're about, and they have, there are so many doubts that they, they walk away. And there are others that are so concerned about their own personal purity that they never engage or have any influence. And those are two extremes, and Jesus walks that line masterfully. And so if you have questions about how to engage in a society that thinks differently, Jesus is our model, and that's what we see here. And so there's one more aspect to this, though, that we see Jesus modeling, explaining, because I think at the very end of this chapter, we're going to go back to um, verse... Uh, 30, here we go, 37, is that he tells us the other response. It's not just compassion, but he tells us to pray. And he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So that response, the next step of compassion, and you'll see why this is relevant in a minute, is prayer. So when we feel helpless, we can pray. And pray is a form 
of being effective and joining God's mission. But many of us have seen this passage before, and it kind of falls on deaf ears. Like, I work in these circles where we talk about this and we pray about these things all the time. But as I was reading through chapter 9, chapter 8, and all of Matthew to see, you know what, what might be a better translation of this passage? The victims are plentiful, but the compassionate are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord who is watching over all of the victims to send out those who are driven by my compassion. And I had never thought about this before until I really kind of studied this passage more and God wouldn't really let it off of my mind and my heart because I began to realize we have focused so much on this sending out full-time Christian workers from that passage, which I don't think is a bad thing, but it might not matter if they're not people of compassion who model that heart of God, that compassionate heart of God. And if we don't see the people we're going to as spiritual victims. So the victims are plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. But the workers, those who reflect the compassionate heart of God, are few. I'd like to transition to sharing about the, the, the nature of, of how God is at work right now in Europe because it actually connects to so much of this. Because right now, what we're seeing in Europe is, is unprecedented in my lifetime. And I'm not someone who has a lot of experience with war. I know some of you may have had different experiences or your families um, have incredibly difficult and tragic stories. And so I wanna be sensitive to talking about this today because this is not a light thing. I mean, I joked about it at the beginning. Now, welcome to church. We talk about war and hard things. But um, this is really what is happening. And you cannot find this information on CNN or your Instagram feed. This is what the kind of the spiritual side of what God is doing in Europe. And that's what I'd like to talk about in the next few minutes. Because what we're seeing is just what we talked about in Scripture is that there are victims. Those are people who are helpless and harassed. And they need others who are full of compassion to help them, to come alongside them. So one of the things that I've actually discovered in all of this, um, I spent time in Hungary and in Poland and, and in Berlin. And um, at some point we'll probably go back into Ukraine, um, depending on security things. Um, but what I saw up close to war is that it is just as much a spiritual battle as it is a physical one. We tend to think about battle lines, artillery, all of those things. And yet to see how it is destroying life, tearing apart families, ruining communities, and decimating cities, there is nothing holy about that. There just isn't. And that the, the key, the path to moving forward in light of a war context is to pull out all of your spiritual forces. And that's again where that prayer piece becomes so significant. And so as I share these things with you, please 
jot down the names of people that you want to pray for. Jot down the, the needs or the situations that, that strike you, that move that compassion in you. Like we just read that Jesus, Jesus had when he saw the crowds. Write that down and you're going to have time to pray later at the end of the service. But this idea that, that we fight spiritual battles with spiritual resources. And part of the reason that, that we can see the spiritual intensity of this situation is the history of Ukraine itself. So I'm actually going to fast forward to this, that purple slide um, that talks about Ukraine's spiritual history. I did not know this before going over there, but Ukraine is arguably the most Christian nation in Europe. As just what I told you in terms of those percentages, it's very different for Ukraine. Argue, maybe even somewhere close to 15% of people who might call them believers. It's really difficult to get statistics on these things. But in the 90s, with the fall of the wall in communism, the dissolution of the USSR, people became Christians in droves. They had questions, and believers from the U.S., from other parts of Europe, and from around the world went to Ukraine and helped lead Bible studies, disciple people. And in that process, they saw churches be started. They saw movements grow and expand throughout the country. They saw seminaries, training centers, so much so that Ukraine started to actually send out its, their own missionaries. And then we see that this is where war occurs for the first time in how many years? On the soil where the most believers are? I'm not saying I know the answer to that. I just think that's a fascinating concept. That then God, like what is God doing in that? And what we've seen is that God is actually sending out Ukrainians to the most secular cities of Europe. And they have a vision for how they can impact their cities. And so there's a slide that says Ukrainian believers, and it has a picture. Um, I don't know if you, it's uh, right after that spiritual history one. And it says Ukrainian believers, and those are just some prayer prompts for how to pray for them. But to the top left is me, a colleague, and then a man, a pastor named Volodymyr. And he was a church planter in Ukraine, in Kharkiv, a city that some of you have heard of on the news. And he has four children, and so his family was allowed to leave. He also has a disability, and so is not able to fight. And he, um, when we met him, they were, on, they were moving to their seventh housing situation um, since the war broke out. So you can imagine a family of six moving seven times, and they knew that that was not the last time. So the level of instability. Um, but he said, wherever we land we know that God is going to use Ukrainians because we know God. We have seen him work. He is saving our lives. He is protecting us. And we are going to share that story. And God is going to use us. Even in the midst of this tragic time, Volodymyr was saying, we're going to be used. And so pray for people like Volodymyr, whether they end up in Paris, whether they end up in Canada, whether, whether they end up in Orange County that God might use them to reach others and to reach other Ukrainians or Russian speakers in their midst, wherever they land. And then the picture to the right is another group of, um, the far left is a Polish pastor whose church turned into a temporary housing shelter. 
and kind of a community center for refugees. And the family on the right had escaped and um, the husband, the wife, children, and then her sister. And they were actually settling in this Polish city in Western Poland. And they had been involved in their church and she uses music. She writes songs and uses music to minister to people in church and outside of church. And she said, we are going to commit to living here and we want God to use us here. And the Polish pastor to the left said, the Ukrainians are gonna bring life and hope into our stale and dying churches. I mean, that is incredible to see this vision that Ukrainians have and these European Christians are recognizing as well. This is exactly what we need. And so pray for protection for them, recovery, healing, but also pray for influence. And I wanna share two more stories before we wrap up. One is this Ukrainian student I met in, in Krakow. I keep looking up there to that sign, the, the hoop prodigy, thinking that's the screen. So <laughs> don't mind me if I start talking about hoops, basketball. But um, this is a Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainian college student. He, his family wanted him to get a good education and so sent him to Krakow, Poland, which is a beautiful city in southern Poland with a lot of college students and universities, research centers. He was our server this night and we just got to talking and, and he told us, you know, when we just said, how has it been for you, you know? And he said, man, when we saw this coming a few weeks before the war broke out, we could see the writing on the wall. And he said, I just knew I needed to figure out what grounded me. I knew with all of this coming, I, need to figure out, I needed to figure out what I was about and what grounded me. And we said, oh, are you familiar with Christianity? You know, is that something you're familiar with at all? And he said, no, no, not really. And he said, well, would you be interested in studying the Bible to learn more about who Jesus is and how and what he offers, what a relationship with him offers. And he said, yes. <laughs> I'm telling you, I have been working in Europe for the last 10 years, and not one person has said yes to that question. <laughs> God is doing something unique. And, and Nick gave me permission to share this story, to share his story about Ukraine and his own, his own process right now. And he needs people we were leaving the next day and he needs people who could study the Bible with him and to introduce him to this God, to the God that we know in a personal relationship. The other, um, the last story I wanted to share with you is um, a couple named Mariana and Vova. They were not able to leave Ukraine. As some of you know that men of a certain fighting age were not able to leave. And so uh, Vova as well, um, a lot of believers in Ukraine are more of the pacifist um, stripe. And so he wasn't ready to fight in the war, but he wanted to help his country. And as a church planter, he realized that he could actually deploy some of the churches that he had planted and the communities that he had helped start of believers, and they could become distribution centers and really kind of crisis chaplains to those in the community when they deliver items, food, medicine, fuel, generators, that they could deliver these items to people and not just give them things and have a transaction, 
but actually have an interaction. Say, how are you doing in the midst of this? Build relationships and care for these people. And what's interesting about Vova is his name, and his wife is Mariana. What's interesting about Vova is he's a recovering addict. And that is how, part of how he discovered Christ. And his church and the church plants have been primarily reaching into the addict community in Kharkiv, in the city where they've been living. And it is people who have gone through so much and experienced that recovery and healing themselves that are now able to offer that to people in their community. Mariana and Vova need our prayers. At times, they haven't even been able to live in Kharkiv. They've been displaced even within Ukraine. Even though they've wanted to stay, it has not been safe enough. And so Reach Global wants to come alongside, is coming alongside people like them and wants to continue doing that and start new works, even though we've had ministries in these countries for years, but to start fresh, long-term work supporting and resourcing people in Ukraine to continue to offer hope healing, and healing to those impacted by war, whether they're in Poland, whether they're in Hungary, whether they're in Berlin or Canada or Orange County. There are opportunities, we live in a global world and there are opportunities everywhere. And so I wanna encourage you this morning that you can be that person of compassion and to see people not as threats, but as victims like Jesus did. And to pray that God would send more people of compassion here locally, in your place of work, where you go to school, in your families, and also in far off places like Europe where they are in desperate need of people who can come alongside them and offer them the hope that we have in Christ. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, I just thank you so much that I can be here today and that we can talk about these things, that we can pray about them, that we can consider our role in bringing hope and offering healing just like Jesus did. I pray that you would give us the heart that we need, the posture that we need to do that well, not as the saviors ourselves, Lord, but as people, as fellow victims who also received your healing and compassion. Would you ground us in that truth and that memory of what you've done for us? And would that empower us to engage with others who are victims of war, who are victims of a spiritual context that doesn't let them know you. And I pray for those here today, Lord, that you would use them wherever they are to be people of compassion and that you might raise up some people here as well to serve in Europe, to serve in Ukraine, to serve in Poland, or to serve anywhere else in the world, Lord. We are so thankful that you have invited us to be part of this cause of compassion. In your name we pray, amen. Hi, this is Pastor Wilson again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If our sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd love for you to consider supporting our church and ministry. As we approach the end of the year, we're asking our church family to consider investing into a special fund that support our interns and seminarians. Renew has a vision of investing in pastors for the next generation 
through our internship program. And your financial partnership can help set up a young pastor or missionary to faithfully serve the Lord for the next 30 to 40 years. I often dream about what Erwin or Kevin will do for the kingdom of God through their 30s, 40s, and 60s. Our goal is to raise $50,000 over the season. Would you consider joining us? You can give through PayPal or Venmo or by sending a check. All the information is on the description section of the podcast, or you can visit our website, and your investment is tax deductible. Thank you so much for being a part of our church family. If you're ever in the Fullerton, California area, please drop by into our Sunday service. I'd love to meet you. God bless.